0: Hi guys and welcome to the up Books and Podcast, I'm Lukasz as always and today we're talking about Chris Eubank versus Liam Smith or Liam Smith versus Chris Eubank if you want to acknowledge the winner first um, It won't be the longest episode today, partly because that particular fight um, there wasn't, oh, <laughs> not a lot happened in the wrong way to put it it was, you know, it was a fairly simple fight until the end which happened very quickly so it's not that much to talk about but I'll go into, into what I've got I'll talk about briefly about... Um, Echo Esserman and Chris Congo and um, Richard Richard Ryakpo versus Krzysztof but I you know I won't uh, I won't be in depth on those. But there's a couple of things I want to touch on in them. Um, there was a, f- a card on the Friday evening, so showbox card between David Stevens and Sean Hempel, um, which is an eight rounder, which is apparently pretty good. But, you know, maybe worth a watch. but uh, I didn't watch it, so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, So yeah, let's get uh, let's get cracking on the uh, on the main event. Now I should probably say straight away that um, I've already written an article on this for over on Bloody Elbow, you know. Um, So unavoidably, some of what I said there I will say here, but um, but I will be you know rambling, and not everything I say here will be in the article. (laughs) In any case, if you haven't read it, go and read it, Um, and. uh, yeah, okay, so what happened? Um, well, firstly, well, Liam Smith knocked out Chris Eubank. Uh, yeah, that's what happened. Um, and uh, yeah, um, my basic thought is, it seemed to come out when I were, and that was kind of the, you know, the chatter and the immediate a- aftermath. It's like, yeah, wow, um, how, where, where on earth did that come from? And yeah, it's fair to say nobody was expecting um, Liam Smith to knock out Chris Eubank, who is a much bigger guy and known as having a chin. There may be some issue with Eubank making weight you know he was being silly about making weight down, uh, cutting down to even lower than 160 um, to fight Conor Ben, which then fell through and um, you know he's he's quite big for a middleweight he's been trying to make weight for a while um, there may have been but I, I don't think so um, you know my main theory is that uh, there were <laughs> other things going on which is that just Chris Eubank isn't very good um, or rather that Chris Eubank makes mistakes that led to it that uh opened up that era and you know um yeah basically my my pet theory at this moment is that what happened is a combination of old errors that you has always made old problems he has always had um combined with new problems coming in as he fails to introduce Roy james jr's teachings properly and fails to integrate his game properly with what he's been taught by Roy Jones, which has to lay some weight on Roy Jones. But in any case, I think that's what happened, because um, the first initial issue, and Eubank always has this issue, and I don't, you know, he's, at this stage he's never going to change it. He's thirty-three. He doesn't expend his, extend his punches properly. He doesn't have a long range on his jab because he doesn't fully extend it when he throws it. And that means that Liam Smith was closer to him than he needed to be. It's quite simple. Um, you know, you're playing an outboxing game and you're giving out up, I don't know, maybe two or three inches, three or four inches, I don't know. but it's, you know, it's, it's enough that uh, Liam Smith, this might be significantly shorter, didn't have to work as hard to close distance as he would otherwise have had to. And um, that combined with a couple of other things, um, the main issue... That came into the ending, I think. I'll talk about some of the other stuff after I talk about the ending in that. Um, but the main thing that came into the ending that um, Chris Eubank was doing consistently was his head movement is so-so. Like he moves, you know, he's not he's not, rub, he's not non-existent. Um, but his main escape from certain punches is to like, lean back, you know. It's fairly standard. It's not a mistake on its own. Um, but... Um, but U-back's problem is that he can't do that most of the time without hopping or stepping back and it's hardly the only fighter who does that like the really good fighters the really the, the really the best fighters are doing this can do that without moving their front foot back they just shift their weight back see the punches go in front of them then shift their weight back forward and counter immediately um, but there are some bit, there are some very good fighters who do have to sort of bugger off into the distance um Erisnadi like, um, Lara does that um but the big key difference between Lara, who you know, he, I frustr- he frustrates me, uh, or did he's now turned into an exciting fighter in his old age, apparently. But he, you know, he always frustrated me because he'd disengage and then he'd disin fucking engage and disappear. Um, but he always knew where he was in the ring. So when he was disengaging, he was disengaging into empty space. Um, Liam Smith, uh, so Chris Eubank does that thing where he's you know he tries to lean back and he stumbles back. The two differences are, well, Lara knew that lara was uh already ready to move whereas he was already tending to you know he tries to lean back and then he has to sit back to compensate instead of just hopping back um sometimes not always but um and the other thing is and this is a really major issue for someone who's been trained to be an outboxer and i have no fucking clue what he's thinking is that he kept backing himself onto the ropes and into the corners um I mean, Leah Smith, at can ring cut, so it was a bit of being herded, but he kept going to the ropes, and in the first three rounds, which, let's be clear, I had you bank up in the fight, and I definitely wasn't the only one, there was a lot of press, um, who had him up, and the DAZN commentary, uh, which I had on, because, because I'm in Germany, um, so that, that we had it on DAZN, uh, they had him up as well, I gather Sky had it even, um, but, um, I wasn't watching the Sky commentary, so, I don't know, in any case, um, yeah, so, um, Eubank kept packing himself into the corners, and early on he um, he could get himself out. He'd jab his way out. Like, you know, once he gets into the corners, and Smith's trying to close, then that jab becomes a bit more effective because he's now you know he doesn't have to extend it to land it, and uh, and he he clears himself the space again to move, and he, he would get out. But it was going to become an issue at some point. That sometimes his escape is to just move straight back, and for me that's what happened with the knockout. He tried to move straight back. He tried to slide or step or snapped straight back. He hit the ropes and he bounced. And um, he was trying to skip an uppercut. And he mostly did. It kind of clipped him, but it didn't really do much. And he went to the ro- He went back, was hit the ropes, and as he came back, he went straight into a right hand from Smith. And, um, and that wasn't the one that sort of ended the fight. That came up a few seconds, you know, in the same flurry. Um, but his head slumped immediately. And then, uh, you know, and then he wasn't reacting properly after that. And then, you know, he was all over the shop and he got caught with this huge uppercut and a big left hand and that was what ended the fight. He went down, he got up, he was allowed to carry on, which he shouldn't, absolutely should not have been. You know, he, the ref said, walk to me and he kind of stumbled towards, uh, towards Smith. But, um, but he was allowed to carry on, but, you know, after that it was irrelevant, it was a k- academic, he was out of it. Um, I should note that since uh, the fight, I've seen a... Um, a reverse angle that showed Smith catching him with an elbow, um, sort of forearm, as he threw that final flurry. There's a good chance that that's what's responsible for the big ass swelling on Eubanks' cheek. Um, I don't think it, you know, I don't think it was a big, I don't think that changed the fight, the way the fight was going, because um, I, don't think, I don't think that that was the one that did the damage that led to the end, you know, to the knockout. I don't think it's the thing that Daze's uh, reflexes, but it may have been, you know he may feel hard done by. But in any case, yeah, um, the, the, the issue was him just trying to use space that wasn't there, basically an unawareness of where he was in the rim in the, uh, you yeah, know, just, just not great. And it kind it kind of added together, you know, yeah, that thing about his footwork not being great and his footwork's not great in either, either positionally or in, you know, full, full technique, technique, because like I say, if his feet were good, he'd be able to slide back without losing his balance and having to step back. So yeah, it's just just mistakes. And Liam Smith for his part, um, he just you know, he he pretty much did what I expected to in a technical level. I didn't expect him to knock you bank out that early, but he did what I expected him to do in the sense of um he kept it tight and he kept it cool, and uh he has a very uh you know, I um it's a very simple style. There's no real flash or bang to him, but um but he does most things you know to a good level. Um and you know, I talked about his high guard um being effective but simple. At that, you know, Eubank found ways through it. He was jabbing through the middle, his uppercuts were working, there were things Eubank were doing that made it difficult for Smith. Um, you know, that High Guard is a pass pass you can pass it if you're if you're throwing loads of loopy shots, because Smith doesn't really adjust his guard, and that's what Eubank does, and that's what he did. Um but he also had has head head movement which is much better than eubanks even though it's less flash um but he's taking his head off center line he's when he when smith steps back slides back um sorry when smith leans back he is just leaning back like he he can move backwards without stepping backwards he can move his head off that's him backwards and then when he comes back forward he's not on center line which was the big problem with eubank um you know he comes back forward the same way he went back away so so yeah it's just a from Smith, just a technically competent performance, and like I say, he was down on the cards for me and for a few others in the first three rounds, but um, but it was always a bunch of stuff you know, that's kind of how he is um, he sits and waits for more flawed opponents to show him their mistakes, and then he attacks those mistakes and, um, you know, I don't think I can say that he deliberately, you know, I don't think it was his plan to deliberately catch Eubank coming back in just exactly the way I thought he was, but I think he knew full well at some point newbank was going to get trapped on the ropes and do something silly and he was going to be able to punish him for it so so yeah no, smith's just a technically solid all-round he's sort of the epitome of that old i say old you know it's the old old school 80s 70s it's old school the last 15 years or so um, there's been a sort of template of british fighters who um if fighters you know you can describe fight a certain way have a good job very good at managing distance maybe a bit straight line um are certain patterns of shots. You know, that have a jab and they follow up with little flurries. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Terry Flanagan, um, Anthony Corolla, just all of these kind of guys. And Smith, all of the Smith brothers fit it to some extent. Kind of not so much. I mean, a little bit. It's a very Joe Gallagher pattern. Um, they've all since left Joe Gallagher. They seem to have had a falling out. But in any case, Neil um, Smith is kind of the epitome, the, uh, the, the high point of that style, you know, without really breaking it out of that template too much. But he does everything... he's almost being the fighter that the template is based on and everyone else is doing it is missing bits and he's you know he's he's not the best fighter you've ever seen but um but there aren't any he doesn't really make too many mistakes you know apart from that high guard thing there's not really anything you can point to with Liam Smith and say that, that that's wrong it's just you know nice to see someone like that get his success um so, yeah, let's talk about what they're going to do next. There's not too much to... Like I say, there's not that much to say about the fight. Um, it was a fairly simple fight, and then it ended, like I say. So, um, let's talk about what they want to do next. I'll talk about Liam Smith first, because whether... he, You know, he talked about Golovkin afterwards, but Golovkin has two mandatories at, um, at middleweight. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, if that happens, I would be sad to say that I think Smith can win it. I'm not saying I predict Smith would win it. I'd be sad... You know, I would think that Smith can win it. I've seen a few people already say that there's no chance people are overrating Smith based on the back of beating Eubank. Um Possibly, you know, beating Eubank isn't getting ready for anything like prime Golovkin, but Golovkin isn't in his prime. And um, and if Golovkin looks as bad in the first five or six rounds against Liam Smith as he did against Canelo or um, even Murata, which fight he won in the end, Smith isn't the guy who's going to fade out the way those guys did um, so he'd have to be being broken down and my problem is Golovkin, you know that's not what Golovkin was doing I'm not going to go too far into it until it gets announced um, any case um, yeah so Smith has options he could go for one of the other um, titles at middleweight um, Charler um, or um, for fuck's sake Genevieve Alan Kaluni which I don't think he should take because Alan can would beat the fuck out of him you know Charlo, maybe I don't rate Charlo as hardy as many do, but um, yeah. The other option for him is to go down to one five four, which is a shark tank of a division, but it's full of sort of up and coming fighters. Um, he may not want to be the guy that people test themselves against to see if they are world level. He wants to be you know, he wants to go for a title. Um, but uh, but there's a lot of, you know, fighters there's a lot of fights he could take there, though I'm pretty sure there's a lot of fighters who would happily step in with him. Um there's money to be made there for him. And he um you know, I think he'd beat some of them. You know, him versus Sebastian Fedora. That'd be hard. Um, you know, Tim Chu, but there's you know, there's a lot of upcomers, that all they'd all be interested, I think. Um, so so that might be a worth I look for him. Chris Eubank's concerns are a bit more let's call it existential he's um he's got to think about what he's doing with his coaching setup because roy jones is the first coach in his career that he appears to have any actual respect for in terms of listening to him but i don't know if listening to him is doing him any good because like i say the technical the technical aspects that roy jones is teaching him aren't meshing at all well with the technical aspects and even the um you know the physical aspects that uh, that he has he's like the range thing is the big one I keep talking about but his footwork is uh, you know if you're going to be an outboxer your footwork has to be good your head movement has to be better than that you have to be really aware of where you are in the ring which he's not um, but at the same time you know for me stylistically the old way he was fighting which was sort of cowzaggy light was um, you know lots of volume getting close you know the hooks and uppercuts and shit um, that kind of the loopy punches in close with the high torrid pace um that worked for him and it traded well on his what until now had seemed to be a really almost impregnable chin, but he never had the stamina to do it for twelve rounds, and that may be why he decided on this pattern. But for me, the the way to do it would have been to learn how to manage his stamina, not to change himself completely into a different fighter. Um, and you know what he does after that? You know whether he stays at one sixty, whether he takes a rematch. He's still talking about Conor Ben, but that seems insane to me. Um, even even at one sixty, where you know he's a lot bigger than Conor Ben and if his chin isn't that damaged he, um, you know um, Eddie Hearn's obviously talking about uh, talking Conor Ben up as his big lethal puncher, but he's a that big punch up welterweight and it's two weights up is is a lot um, you know if Eubank is any kind of fit for it um, but I feel you know he may need to go up to 168 he may need to retire you know he may need to listen to Nazim Hamad I think he should finish um, but yeah it's basically very hard to say what Eubank should do next because we don't know what he what it's feeling like I apologise if you're hearing a laugh coming to my voice I am not feeling all that well Um, but I will soldier on and finish like I say, not going to be too much longer two fights I want to talk about just very briefly I'm just going to touch on them um Echo Esserman versus uh, Chris Congo, which is a British level fight, Commonwealth level fight. Um, and I was hoping it would be an absolute storm of a fire fight, because it had the potential to be. Others thought it might be a real stinker. I didn't think that was going to happen, but it could have done. You know, they've both been in stinkers before, so it's possible. Um, as it turned out, it was basically a fight that went one way at the beginning and then the other way at the end. Um, Chris Congo is trained now by Ben Davison. And uh, the fight didn't go the way I thought. I think largely because Ben Davison has had a good effect on Chris on Chris Congo. I saw some people on Twitter going, "Oh, yeah, Ben Davison fighters always lose; he never trains them well." So like if you have, if you if you've seen Chris Congo fight, yeah, you know, in the past, then you're seeing him now. What the fuck are you complaining about? Um, yeah, like he lost. He has his limitations. He's what 34. You know, it's certainly a certain amount you're going to do, but um, but he always had a problem with. Managing range and over him and just basically being a bit wild. And he wasn't in this fight. He used his nose advantage over Essamon very well early on. Um, he jabbed well, he moved well. And then Essamon, you know, Essamon's called the engine for a reason. He keeps coming and he keeps coming and eventually he started to work out how to close a distance and get those, you know, rough, tough combinations off. Now, like neither of them are huge power punches. Congo um, uh, probably has the bigger one shot power, Essamon has this grind down style. And he did start to grind him down, it just came. You know, late into the fight, I was going to say it came a little bit too late. but Essamon did win. This is mildly controversial, but I don't think it's a huge thing. It's not a robbery or anything. Um, you know, if you saw a couple of the earlier rounds, a little closer to Essamon than uh, than a lot of the watching public did, it's perfectly giveable. You know, it's uh, it's not a robbery at all, but. um yeah, no, neither of them are going to be world-level. I think Essamon, at some point, will probably fight for a world title and lose. Um lose. They're, they're welterweights, so, um, so it's a you know, tough-ass division. But Essamon, you know, he may degenerate himself into a world title, um, like I say, and lose. But, um, but yeah, no, it's just... Uh, I just want, really wanted to shout out that uh, Essamon's improvement under Davison. They're tidying up. Um, what I like about uh Convo's improvement, sorry, Essamon. What I like about Essamon is... Um, yeah, he's he. Despite being relentless, he's pretty patient. Like he doesn't throw too early. Um, you know, when he wasn't closing the distance early, he wasn't wasting energy throwing speculative shots. Uh, which isn't to say every shot he you know he, he he shows throwaway shots. That's fine. He doesn't throw random shots to try to close. You know, he doesn't waste energy. Basically, despite being a very high energy fighter, um, and that's you know that's nice to see. He's not yeah, he's not humongously skilled by elite welterweight levels, but it's nice to see guys even at British level, European level, that kind of thing, do things right. And SMN, what Esserman does do right is he wastes, he wastes very little energy for a guy who pitches as hard as he does. And it's just, yeah, it's, like I say, I like to see that kind of thing. Um, and the other fight is uh, Richard Ryabkor versus Krzysztof Gorhatsky, where it was really just... that. This was to put Ryabkor's name on the map internationally. Like really, he's sort of done the stuff at um, British level, but he's kind of always been a step behind Lorenzo Kohli, and he's still a step behind Lorenzo Kohli because Lorenzo Kohli already beat Kovatsky. Um, he's trying to step up to that level where he can fight Acoli, um you know, clear his way into world level. And this was clearly designed to do that, just take a name who he can probably beat, who's probably a bit past his best, but he'll get noticed. And that's more or less what happened. Um, the thing I like about Riappol, this, this fight doesn't say much about his world-level ambitions because, like I say, Gwavatsky's just way too far past his best. But the thing I like about Poor now... I didn't used to like him as a fighter at all. I used to be baffled by um, the push that he was being given. But um, I like him now because uh, he's always going to be a bit limited and he's always he's never going to be like a super-fast fighter all round. But... Um, he knows what he is he knows what his limitations are he knows what his strengths are and his strengths are that he hits really fucking hard um and so he's become a fighter who he doesn't really care if he's losing rounds um what he's focusing on is getting snap sharp snappy counters home and this is the thing he's not fast overall, but every so often he can throw like a really fast counter shot um and he does that. Uh, He's just... And it's not just one. Like, he gets compared to Deontay Wilder a lot. I compare him to Deontay Wilder a lot because he's crude and he makes mistakes and he steps all wrong. But Wilder's always, always looking for the overhand right. And he's smarter than... You know, I've talked about this before. At this point, it's pretty well known that Wilder's smarter than his technical appearance would give him... You know, the the, the crudity of his technique would make you think. Um, he's smarter for finding ways with the right hand to get home than than you'd think. Real Paul has more... Than just that big overhand right. He you know he lands both hands very hard, um, but um, but yeah he's smart about l- luring his opponent into positions where he can just uncork uh, a sh- half a sharp hard shot, and it isn't just you know again the comparison of Wilder. Wilder's you know power is has to be delivered long. Uh, right, Poor can deliver short you know quite tight shots, um, and the ending came, like, he landed a few before, and he landed some long, like, he st- wobbled him with a bit of a jab, uh, a few, uh, just a bit before the ending, um, and he, he had him hurt with other shots before. The ending came when Kovatsky was, you know, he was responding, and um, and hit him hard with a left hook, from pretty close range, um, a left to the body, not a left hook, a left to the body, and um, and then he followed up, and, you know, Kovatsky went, <laughs> and, um, Dropped his hands. And then he unloaded with a combination up top. And he doesn't get, you know, again, comparisons to Wilder. He doesn't get as off-balance as Wilder. He's not as crude, technically, as Wilder. But, um, you know, he has his similarities. He is a bit crude, technically. Um, yeah, he just unloaded a combination to the head until the referee stopped it. Um, and, yeah, it's just that attitude. He doesn't... He's always comfortable. He's always confident that eventually he'll get something home. And eventually that won't be true. But, um, but he's going to be dangerous against anyone, you know, I would have thought. Because... Because it's hard to get close enough to hit him without being close enough for him to hit you back, and yeah, there are very few fighters. You know, even even at world level, there are a few fighters who hit as hard as he does. You know, even at cruiserweight, even at the big big weights, he hits really hard. So yeah, he's just going to be tough out for anyone, and I'm enjoying watching him develop the strengths and that he needs to have. Um, you know, that, that like I said with the Echimov fight. um... You know, Reactor was never going to be the slickest fighter you've ever seen, but I just like seeing fighters do things that make them the best version of the fighter they can be, um, and that's what Reactor was doing, and I like it. Anyway, that's that's all the result. That's what I've really got to say from that fight, that card. That's what I've really got to say from the, from the weekend. Um, this weekend, obviously, Artur Beterbiev versus um, versus Adney art which I you know I will be giving yard some chance obviously but is a strong favorite but i will be giving yard a chance there is another couple of fights on that card um let me have a quick check because i know it's um oh what's the chops uh artem de and david jimenez um which is a my title fight at uh, flyweight um is this flyweight superfly um where artem de sort of been sitting on his title for a while um, and, um, you yeah, know, he's Ukrainian. Um, it is a, yeah, it's a flyweight. He holds a W.A. flyweight. And he's been holding it for four years, nearly five years now. Um, and, yeah, he's kind of been not really fighting the other, the top sharks at flyweight. And um, Jimenez is not a top shark at flyweight. But he may well be good enough to um, to stretch Delacan. So that may be, uh, may be worth watching. And then there's a few other prospects and stuff on the card. Yeah, so it's a good card, yeah. Give it a look, and that's all I've got to say. Follow me at um, at Crafty Boxing on Twitter. Follow the fights out at the fights out. Join our Patreon. Yeah, see you next time.